0: hey y'all welcome to the marty Smith america podcast this is volume 100 something and i am amped i'm pumped can, this is one of we my ma-
1: can we make this volume 11 i'm really a big fan of that number right now
0: i know you are you know what we should do is actually make it volume 12 12 for 12 gauge <laughs> i can see why travis wants it to be volume 11 he's throwing shade at Dabo. uh as many Ohio State fans are, as, as the Ohio State program is, and, and including their social media, uh, they've had a couple of jabs at that uh, 11 comment there. And uh, just a tremendous performance by Ohio State. And uh, I think we should, should have it as volume 12, however, for our boy 12 Gage Cardell Jones, the uh, orchestrator of the 2015. Ohio State National Championship team, joins us as our guest today, someone that I'm very close with and someone whom I admire. And we'll really get in, in deep about our relationship and, and that amazing movie that he wrote. The amazing 2014 Big Ten Championship, Sugar Bowl Championship, National Championship run for Urban Meyer, Tom Herman, Cardell Jones, Joey Bosa, Michael Thomas, Darren Lee, Raquan McMillan, Joshua Perry, uh, Ezekiel Elliott. It's just Jalen Marshall, Curtis Samuel. The, the list it's just is, Devin is, Smith. It's just, it's just ridiculous. It's ridiculous, man. That team and the talent that came out of that group. And I had the great blessing of living that run with them for about six weeks straight. In Columbus, I the the Marriott points I rolled up at the Renaissance Hotel in downtown C-Bus, I'm still reaping the benefits from that trip.
1: <laughs> they should have bought you a, a damn apartment. Just
0: <laughs> I, seriously, man, it might have been cheaper. It might have It might have saved us some money if I ESPN just got just a month to buy long lease.
1: ESPN just needs to buy a couple apartments in each college town and just yeah, I need have one. someone have someone come in and clean it out when the person's done, and the next reporter just checks in. And
0: I need he, one in T-Town. It. I need one in Clemson. I need needed one at that time, certainly in Columbus, but it was just one of the joys of my life. That was my first foray into to the college football team and family at ESPN because Lee Fitting and and his group believed in a, a, a passionate country boy. And uh, I'm forever indebted. I'm forever indebted. And we'll get into that after a while, but I'm uh. Before we, before we do, um, I want to kind of tell the story. Before we get to Cardale, I want to tell the story from that run that really, to me, encapsulates, encapsulates that time. And so many of you guys know the story from my book and from, from various speeches I've done about Urban Meyer and the story that, that he and I shared. And that one is so. It's one of the two stories that that just just encapsulates so well what that run was like. And if you don't know that story, write us because I can tell it in a later episode. But I want to tell this one first. It was it was media day at the Sugar Bowl, and they had these tables set out on the surface in New Orleans at the Superdome. And there were two players per table. They were, like, they were like picnic table kind of things. And then players like Zeke and Cardale and Bosa and those guys, the, the big superstar players, had these booths with these microphones that projected where the reporters could hear everything they were saying. And then there were other players that were just seated there with no microphones. And the reporters could walk up to them, put their tape recorders in front of them, or spend getting, you know, stand them up and do an interview. And before that media day, I had asked Jerry Amig, the sports information director at Ohio State, if he could ask the equipment staff if they would give me a sleeve of Buckeye stickers. Because I always remembered that ESPN commercial Buckeye. And I always thought those stickers were so cool. Well, what did they mean? What did it mean to have half your helmet filled up with Buckeye stickers? Because my goal as a complete outsider going into Columbus was, don't don't try to act like you know everything about this team because you don't. You haven't covered them. You don't know the young men. You don't know the coaches. They don't know you. They don't trust you. So report what you see and what you think is interesting. Well, I thought the Buckeye stickers were interesting as hell. I take this sleeve of Buckeye stickers, slide it across the table at Joey Bosa. What is this? What are these? What's that sticker? Well, if I get a sack, no, 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 no. What what, what do they mean? Like, What are they? He didn't give me what I wanted. I went to Zeke. Same thing. He didn't give me what I wanted. I went to Michael Thomas. I went to Raekwon, I went to Darren, I went to all these guys. Like, what, what does this sticker mean when you walk in the locker room on game day and you got a helmet full of them? Or what did it feel like the first time you got one? I'd all been given up because I just wasn't getting what I needed. Like, what do they mean? Ladies and gentlemen, two minutes remaining in the media day session here at the Sugar Bowl for Ohio State. There will be an hour intermission, and Alabama will then come in the stadium for their session. Okay, I got two minutes left. I see Devin Smith. He's seated all by himself over at one of those tables. Nobody there. He's like stretching. He's ready to be done with the BS. So I walk over to Devin, and I always had a special place for Devin because he wore that number nine on his back. And, and,
1: and his name happens to be Smith. I
0: know. I always I, – I, I can remember too. Man, you got to get me a jersey. I mean, like, come on, dude. You got to give me one of those. So, I walk over to Devin and I said, hey, bro, I know you're done with this. I said, I got one question if you got a second. Sure, Mr. Marty, what you got? Slide the stickers across the table. What are these? What do they mean to you? Well – you know, if I, if I make a good block, no, damn it, Devin, what, are, what do they mean to Ohio State? Oh, any of y'all that know Devin know he's an intense somebody. He goes, oh, oh, I know what you mean. I'll tell you what those stickers are, Mr. Marty. Those stickers are Chris Carter calling me on Friday night before the Team Up North game to remind me what it means to uphold the tradition. Of the Ohio State University. Those stickers are Troy Smith waiting on us as we exit the facility to go play the game, to remind us of the responsibility of upholding the tradition of the. Ohio State University. Those stickers are Orlando Pace waiting on us outside the locker room to make sure that we're prepared to uphold the tradition of the Ohio State University. Those stickers are Archie Griffin waiting on us as we're exiting the tunnel to ensure that we're prepared to uphold the tradition at the Ohio State University. That sticker is Eddie George calling us to make sure that we're prepared to uphold the tradition at the Ohio State University. He named like eight dudes. And I was ready to strap up and knock the ever-living fire out of something. And I looked at Devin Smith and I said, young man, that is what I needed. Thank you. And I told that report. I saved that report. That was probably three days or two or three days before the game itself. I forget how many days passed. But I saved that report because I wanted that to be my report, the last one I did on game day before the game. That's what I wanted to report. And I am not kidding you. Ohio State fans to this day walk up to me when I see them, and they say, I remember when you gave that report about them helmet stickers. That was bad ass.
1: It's, it's the same as why many Ohio State fans, if you ask them to reach in their pocket, they've got a Buckeye in their pocket. It's the same thing.
0: It's an awesome, like, it's an awesome, that's what, that's college football.
1: And that's it, what college
0: football is. That passion and that devotion is what college football is. That's what it is.
1: And they have a saying, and it's long live the brotherhood. And that, yeah. that phrase encapsulates what that Buckeye leaf means.
0: It just was so cool. And I was really, I was so I was like, Yes, Devin. Yes, Devin. That's it. That's what I that's what I was after because I knew there was something like that in there. And right in the nick of time, Devin hooked me up.
1: And you know what the difference was between asking him and asking Zeke and Joey is? Devin had been there for years. He never he never seen success. He never held a trophy up like that Yep, and gone that run.
0: Well, uh, again, but, that's another one. I still have such a special place in my heart for him. I got to know him pretty well during that run. All of them. I mean, all those guys. It was so cool to go back to the spring game in 16. It was the spring game in 16, I think. Yes, because Michael Thomas got drafted – in the, the 16 fifth. draft, yep. right? They, so yeah, they, the,
1: they they overturned one more year, and then they were gone. So that was their right. first year.
0: Yeah, I'll never forget when Ohio State played Virginia Tech in Blacksburg in 15, and, and can't guard Michael Thomas put Kendall Fuller, one of the best DBs in the country, right on his backside. Like, awesome. I mean, right out of his Miller, And
1: Braxton Miller put somebody in a spin zone.
0: Spin cycle, man. That I mean, like – that was a cool day for me because it was all those young men that I knew so well going back to my home and gotten to do – you went, right? I was, you I was, were say,
1: I was, I was at that game. Um, I was sitting right behind Curtis Samuel's family, which, by the way, they were the coolest people ever. But I, the one thing I was going to say about your Virginia Tech people is they knew they had beaten us and they knew what we were. So they just had the the fun, playful jabs at us, and they had some fun shirts about you know beating the national champions. But at no point was it like a personal. Like they were just they were some of the coolest fans in pound for pound. I haven't been to too many stadiums, but man, that place at the beginning—it's
0: as good as it gets. It's it's as good as it gets, and that I appreciate you saying that because that's one thing that Virginia Tech really prides itself on is having educated fans who appreciate those traditions and the fan bases from other schools welcoming them to Blacksburg that's also quite frankly like I love that about Clemson too I feel the same way about that that fan base but
1: Um, before we get to you know we're talking about fan bases and we've known each other for a couple years but for the most part you're usually working when Ohio State's playing usually a lot of times it's that game so I think this might have been Friday night might have been the first, your first foray into um, being around your cell phone when Iowa State's playing and uh, getting a taste of what I'm like. What was that experience like for you, getting text messages and chatting?
0: So it was almost like a therapy session. I felt a little bit like Travis's therapist because the smallest things he would write, these expletive laced text to me i'm like dude it was a false start it's not the end of the world calm down we're up 35
1: 14 and i'm like complaining about something and at one point you even said like in the late in the game you're like it's you guys are gonna win and i'm like if you jinx us
0: yeah yeah you were pissed at me for that i said either it was over or you guys won it or whatever congratulations you were like dude if they lose i'm gonna come to charlotte kick your ass uh, it was just, it was funny, you know. I again, like, it's just interesting how I don't have that because I cover everybody, and I, you know, I don't know if I would have that had, I, you know, I went to Radford University. We didn't even have football, right? And when when my Highlanders are doing well in the Big South, and they make the NCAA tournament, I am the biggest cheerleader there is, and I'm so proud of what Coach Jones has done. And I hope we get to hold on to him because he's just a great coach. But I didn't have a football team that, w- that I went to that university and, and was passionate about. So I, had I gone to Ohio State or Clemson or, or Alabama or whatever, you know, uh, annually elite program like that and was crazy, uh, I, don't, I might be that way. But I, I don't watch games that way anymore. So to hear tra- – but, you know, look – I have family who went to Bama. I have friends. Of course, I have friends that went to all these universities. So I see it on my phone often. Like, for example, here's an example for y'all. I am broadcasting the App State Coastal Carolina game and this barrage of – I don't look at my phone. Unless I'm looking up a statistic or confirming a fact with a sports information director via text, I don't look at my phone while I'm broadcasting games. I'm watching the game. That's my job on the sideline is to be very perceptive about what's going on on the sideline because we can offer that that kind of color, that kind of context on the quarterback yelled at the wideout, the coach told the players to shut up, whatever. My phone is blowing up during this game. I look at it. It's Luke Combs. He is just blowing me up about, app state and how they're doing this wrong and they're doing what are they doing here uh, how come they're doing that so famous people get pissed too travis
1: it's uh I, I was about to tell you something before we connected. and i said no i'm gonna hold it and so i was sitting here this morning on my couch and i'm like what is this smell i'm like i don't there's I, did i spill a drink and i just didn't realize it friday night like <laughs> what, like, what is going on and i look around and i finally Whiskey see cushion there's a, an empty uh, nip of liquor from Friday night where I, <laughs> uh, I one of many shots that I took after the game, and that explained why my uh, table uh, next you to my what, couch smells like I'm, liquor.
0: I'm going to tell you all what, Saturday morning, I wake up Saturday morning, 5.15 local time, because I hadn't set up the equipment yet for Marty and McGee. We have this box called a Comrex we use to do the show remotely, to do the radio show remotely. I hadn't set it up yet. I was too lazy having my post game beer, watching the sugar bowl in my bed. And I was like, I don't care. I'll do it in the morning. Well, the next morning came, it was, you know, three hours later, whatever, four hours later, the next morning's there. So I'm setting up all this equipment. I get it set up. I get on this zoom. We have where Travis can put all this information on the screen for McGee and me. And I'm like, dang, he looks rough. I'm like, T, you okay bro you look pale he sounded like he'd eaten a box of gravel you sounded like death warmed over son
1: it was i was at the point where burps were very concerning for me because <laughs> i wasn't sure you never like, know
0: what's behind yeah, it. i wasn't
1: sure if it was going to be a burp and then like i'm like please stop making me laughing uh so I know I tweeted around like one, 1:30 1 I was going to bed, but then uh, after confirming some text messages, I didn't get to bed till 3am because we have a group text of friends from high school and college. And one of them sent us a video as an impersonation of Dabo making excuses. And so then I made a video as Ryan day and this went back and forth until 3am.
0: That's hilarious. Uh, you, you, you need to send me that.
1: I remembered uh, during the show, that I made a breakfast burrito at like two a.m. Oh my gosh!
0: And didn't uh, you say it had pepperoni and ham? And no, like-
1: no, it had bacon and eggs. It wasn't oh
0: bacon and eggs.
1: Yeah, yes. Uh, um, I also, when Ohio State season was canceled, I said if it ever gets reinstated, I got a bottle of Jack Daniel's single barrel church uh, variety that I will open up and have a drink. And so I did that when the season was reinstated. And I said, if we beat Clemson, the same thing is going to happen. Um, the difference is when the high State season was reinstated is I was stone cold sober and just had a drink. When we beat Clemson, i uh, had more than a drink before that one, and um wow, that's amazing stuff. I don't recommend you having a drink at twelve thirty one am
0: yeah that's what I asked you on Saturday and you told morning. me like too. bro you, you told didn't, me I tried to tell you, man, you don't need because you see Travis sent me a photo of the chief bottle, and he goes, I brought in the season this way. I'm gonna celebrate this win this way
1: and further I was like, dude,
0: you don't need that
1: you don't, for the you record, don't though put it um, we beat Bama. Doing it again. You're gonna
0: finish it. Yep. Unheard that.
1: But can we um, can I also make fun of you for a second?
0: Easily, yes, of course.
1: So I get a text from you uh, asking if I have DoorDash or Uber Eats <laughs> because you had gotten you were at the Bama game and you get back to the hotel, and because of COVID stuff, restaurants aren't open, yep, and you need food but you don't have any of, those, like have I any of the, those apps. And so I spend my half time ordering you food.
0: <laughs> Travis, I text Travis and I said, Hey bro, you got that Uber eats deal on your phone? He goes, yeah, man. I said, I need a favor, dude. I, I don't mean to be this prima. I don't, I hope this isn't terribly prima Donna, even though it is. I'm incapable. Of, can you do me a favor and order me dinner? Like, how's that work? He was like on oh, it. So Travis orders me some Chipotle, and I'm like, hey, man, just text Lainey and she'll Venmo you the, the damage. Travis was like, dude, it's like $7. I got you. I'm like, I said,
1: <laughs> if we win, it's on the house. If we lose, <laughs> yeah. you owe me.
0: Yeah, you're buying me dinner. That is funny, and, and so pathetic. I, y'all, I know it's pathetic. I admit it. I know it is, but I was, I was really grateful because I had the shakes. I wasn't even going to eat dinner. But when I started to get the shakes a little bit, I was like, I better eat something. And to your point, the hotel that I was in, they were not serving full-blown room service. They were doing like the bar menu or whatnot, which is like a club sandwich. And that's like a burger. And I was like, fine, I'll take the club sandwich. If you could make it this way. She goes, that's fine. I said, what's two and a half hours? I said, two and a half hours. I got to go to bed. So that's when I shut that part down and texted Travis and said, dude, you got that Uber Eats deal because I need to. And Travis wasn't alone. I also texted my boy Patrick Abrahams, who's one of my field producers who does all of Lee Corso's uh, Lee Corso's stuff on game day now in, in uh, where Coach lives down in Florida. And uh, and Patty was already asleep because he'd been up since 2.30 in the morning getting ready for game day.
1: Well, that's the thing is, listen, I understand and Hey, ESPN, I'm, I want all the ratings. But, man, when you have – a game that you're rooting for, and it's not even going to kick off till 8, 15, 8, 30. You know how long rough. college football games go. It's rough. It is. It's rough. And man. It, it's hard to s- sit around and wait. And I'll let you know. I woke up that morning at 5.30, and I couldn't get back to sleep because I was just too amped up for the game.
0: Again, that's and college football. Just waiting around. You like my hat? Did you see my hat?
1: Yeah. So for those people not under Marty has his 2015 Sugar Bowl hat that uh, I assume he just grabbed off the field from one no, of the. No. Do you know the, who
0: handed me this hat?
1: Uh, Mark.
0: Yep. The great Mark Pantone. The I was I was trying Ohio to Ohio State Mom. player personnel director uh, and puppeteer of college football recruiting.
1: Yeah, he's got a fancy title. He basically he all those recruits at Ohio State gets. He's running that division.
0: <laughs> he's uh, – I mean, look, I, I have a lot of friends who are the best in the world at what they do. But that guy right there, he's, he's amazing. It, it amazes me that he's able to to pull the best players from, from so many places. You know, not only do you all win Ohio, of course, but he gets – I mean, he gets studs every year amazing
1: i mean he just had on saturday this five star from jacksonville
0: i know just uh, but yeah so i'm
1: I'm looking forward to monday night uh if you're big on numbers the season for high state was canceled on august 11th Dabo voted high state 11th the national championship is on january 11th which also is my birthday
0: Wow, there's a lot going on there, ladies and gentlemen. We'll see what Alabama thinks about that. We'll see what uh, we'll see if numerology is the is the way of the day. For your sake, sir, I hope so. That would be the greatest birthday present ever.
1: I just, I, I just want at least. I want. It's going
0: game. to be a game. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be uh, like extremely. We
1: as a college, as just a fan base for this season, we're we're a week away from the end, and at one point we didn't think we'd ever have a game, and we're a week away from a championship.
0: I think I think it's going to be so important that the defensive back end for Ohio State, like that's just that's that's vital, because what Alabama is able to do with the the read option and all the RPO work that they do with Jones and Harris and and Smith and not just Smith either I mean Mechie's an animal as well he just we we forget about how good he is but it's going to be a I just can't wait man I can't wait to watch it it's going to be so fun Um, on that note we're speaking of amazing Ohio State accomplishments in 2014 that Buckeyes team as I said just wrote a movie script They take a third-string quarterback into the Big Ten championship game, and they utterly dominate Wisconsin, and, and that propels them into the inaugural college football playoff where they face Alabama and win, and then they go on to the national championship and beat Oregon and Marcus Mariota to win the inaugural college football playoff national championship. And Cardell Jones was that third-string quarterback, and it is just such a pleasure to welcome him to Marty Smith's America. We're going to walk through this whole movie script, all right? <laughs> I've said to you in the past that, that you and your brothers wrote a movie that year, and you did specifically, personally. How, how did you end up at Ohio State? Walk me through that.
2: Um, just through the whole recruiting process, man. I was actually recruited by Coach Trussell and that staff. Um, My school, local school up in Cleveland, Glenville, was a huge pipeline of a lot of athletes going to Ohio State. You got Tegan Jr., you got Troy Smith, Dante Whitner, and the list goes on. And um, just having an opportunity to play at the highest level of high school ball and just being on a national level to get nationally recruited. And Ohio State was always kind of a dream school for me growing up. Really, really the transition of Ohio State being a dream school for me. I I think it happened really through high school. When you start to understand what high school ball was about then you start to understand what college ball was about and you start to fall in love with teams and you have opportunity to see some of the local guys from your neighborhood playing on the highest level at Ohio state and then in the championship games and big time bowl games. And you saw the joy that it brought to our neighborhood and our community. And I know I wanted to be a part of that to kind of have an impact and, and to bring some of that joy to the people of Cleveland. What was it like
0: growing up in Cleveland?
2: Um, I think it was, I mean, it was like any other inner city in America, really. I mean, you know, you, you're gonna face your your doubts, you're gonna face your struggles, you're gonna face your, you know, your, your worries and your violence and not knowing where the next meal is gonna come from and trying to stay on the right path. I think my family, not just my mom, did a good job of kind of um, sheltering me and my siblings and my cousins the best way they could. When it came to not being pretty much swallowed up by the by the uh, negativity sometimes you can face with inner cities
0: when you're an elite athlete and and folks in your neighborhood know that how do they cultivate your opportunity to go get out and be great
2: um, by almost extending a help hand, us almost picking up a role as a parent, as a guardian, as a, as a mentor. It was my, I was in a unique situation, which it's not like that so much, in Cleveland more sad to say that my parent, my mom, my uh, uncles and aunts, my grandparents had a huge family and everyone knew us. So if I got caught doing something stupid, well, if I did something stupid, I didn't have to wait and get caught by my mom it was the neighbor or someone from 10 streets over or someone just knowing our family, they kicked my butt or they set me on that, wreck. they set me on a uh, right path. And I can remember, man, you know, some of those situations where something like that happens, you know, me and a brother is fighting or, or you do something stupid. You get caught and you get, you know, a nice whacking by your neighbor or your you know, someone from the neighborhood and then they still tell on you. Then you go home and my mom give it to me again. So, <laughs> It was almost it, you know how people say the best of both both worlds. I had the worst of both worlds. So couldn't do anything.
0: <laughs> Kids need that. You need that yeah. kind of that kind of community. you mentioned Ted Ginn Junior. What what impact did Ted Ginn senior have on your life as your coach?
2: Um uh, extremely big one and um and I'm actually in the midst of writing a book right now and and I'm actually on the part where I talk about me and Coach Ginn relationship because um I mean without him I definitely Without having other people like him in my life, and so many people that I can count—not um, just on one hand, not just on two hands—that had an impact on my life, where it comes to just keeping me on that straight narrow path. I mean, he was responsible for getting me out of a tough environment and placing me into another one with my mom now, Michelle Nash, and just seeing the opportunities that I had, and and this is stuff that he'd done before with other athletes trying to better their off-the-field situations when it came to the lifestyle of, of what they were accustomed to when it came to that environment. And um, I don't know where I'd be at today if um, that transition didn't happen. And um, me and him still have an unbelievable relationship, and we, we talk still on a regular. And uh, he, he's a good dude. One in, one in a million for sure. <laughs>
0: I remember after the Sugar Bowl, I think it was, it might have been the national championship. And we'll get to that whole ride in a few minutes. But I was standing on the sideline watching you guys celebrate. And I heard my name and I turned around. It was me, it was Coach Ginn. Mm -hmm. He was pointing at you. And I walked, you won't remember this. I walked over and smacked you on the butt. I said, Hey, man. And I kind of pointed at Coach. And you walked over to the wall. He was up in the stands. And you guys embraced and continued to embrace. And it was this long, emotional hug. Mm-hmm. And I have a photograph of that somewhere, but that really told me a lot about your mutual respect for one another and love for one another, that moment. Yeah.
2: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I mean you know, when, when everything first happened with me, having an opportunity to start getting ready for the week of the Big Ten Championship game, he, I mean, we talked a lot already, especially during that season because it was so – emotionally draining for me, uh, just to be a simple fact of how everything happened in camp, then leading up to the season we struggled in the beginning. I thought I should have been playing. And then going to the rise of JT Bear and feeling like, wow, you know, this is a place I always wanted to be at. Now I want to leave like bad. Like I want to get out of here because I want not only have an opportunity to play somewhere, but I just feel so out of place. And me and Coach Ginn had those conversations about that. And he always, one thing people got to understand about Coach Ginn, he don't, he care about sports, but he really, in a way, he really don't. And he is, a him and Tom Herman's on the main factors that kept me there, my mom, Michelle, just a simple fact of giving me and, and talking to me about the bigger picture of being an alum of Ohio State, the bigger picture of getting a degree, the bigger picture of, finding out other things you want to do outside of football when it came to college period. And they felt like Ohio State was giving them the best opportunity to network, to meet people, to, to have a productive life after football. And that's what kind of kept me around. So going up to leading to that championship game, me and him talked probably every other day, just because it was so many, it was so many emotions and it was like, he knew that I was going to go out there like, oh, to prove y'all wrong. Y'all shouldn't have, I should have been starting in the first place or, you know, having a lot of raw emotions towards negative things in a way. So he kind of helped shape my mindset going into that game of just going out there and doing you going there and, and finally have an opportunity to play. It's not about proving people wrong. It's not about showing them they messed up or that you should have been playing or things like that. So it kind of helped my mindset and kept me leveled when it came to that because there was a lot of emotions being excited as well to play. That's why everybody always asks me, were you nervous? Were you this and that? I think without them conversations me and Coach didn't have leading up to that game, I think I, the emotions and, and the, the anticipation would have been a little bit different for me.
0: What consideration did you really give to leaving? I never heard you say that before.
2: Um, a big one. I mean, a huge one. I think it was after – I want to say it was after – we struggled in the beginning of the 2014 season. You know, we were – I think it was 13-6 to six that we beat Navy or something like that. Um, Army or Navy, I can't remember. I know it was just playing in Maryland. And then we come home, lose with Virginia Tech in the season opener, home opener. And then another out-of-conference team that we, you know, didn't look as productive as we should have. You know, and, and therefore, and, and so on. And then, um, I, and I still haven't played a snap, and I was thinking to myself because, you know, conversations me and the staff had that, you know, hey, just be ready because you have opportunity to play. You know, the, the QB battle was tight in the beginning, so, you know, we might be running too quick. I stuff like that just kept me ready in a way. And I don't know if it was just a, those conversations that keep me happy or those conversations like, hey, we really believe in trusting you that you can help this team. So, like I said, we we looked okay the first four or five games, and then I think it was the fifth or sixth game we played Indiana. JT tears it up. <laughs> he threw for three fifty plus and run for darn near two hundred yards. And I can just remember, like, oh my god, like he got. It comes to a point in your career and you're during the season. You hit that. You hit that point where everything is clicking. And that's what happened. I'm just mirroring on the sideline like this. Wow. This is insane. You know, he's <laughs> killing it. Then the next week he followed up with unbelievable performance. And I was like, you know what? This is it for me. Like, I would never play here because, one, he's younger. Two, he's probably one win the Heisman, you know? So um, that became a real talk for me. I remember talking to Coach Herman about it, you know, talking to him, stepping into his office probably about maybe 20, 30 minutes before meetings and – um just saying, hey, you know, this might be my last season here just because of the rise of JT Baird. And I think they um, they just announced that they was granting Braxton Miller a fifth-year eligibility come back next year. So I'm just like, I'm not out of here. Like, I don't have – like, JT's going to be the guy this year. Braxton's going to be the guy next year by default, you know. And then when he's out of here, JT's back in the right. So I'm just like, it's no place for me.
0: What, what did coach herman say I, I remember how how vital and integral he was and your relationship was so special in the comfort you had to excel once you got the chance we'll get there in a minute again but i just want to know what what was coach herman's impact on you as a man as a person
2: um, it was huge not just him but his wife as well i mean especially early on in my career you know, not doing as, not just following that straight narrow path as a quarterback at Ohio State, and not necessarily saying performance on the field, just a little off the field issues. Maybe being late to the class, maybe being late to a tutor, maybe missing something. Little things like that started to to develop a pattern for me in a way where it wasn't the traits and the characteristics and the leadership role that you used to see it, and they were used to seeing from you know Division One quarterbacks. And me being the four fifth string quarterback at the time, we had so many on the roster. I'm just, I didn't comprehend why is that important? Why am I getting punished for some stuff? It's like, why am I getting punished for things that don't affect the team? You know, why am I getting punished for things that no one else will hear a lot of day about? Because it was all about perception. It was all about leadership. I was like, you know, I'm thinking to myself, my teammates ain't going to know to that or miss that or the media, or I'm not the star, or the camera's not on me. That was my mindset as a young player, and they, him, and his wife really helped mold that with a lot of punishment <laughs> and a lot of, in a lot of tough love. I mean, you know, some of the most uncomfortable conversations I ever had in my life came from freaking two strangers that I still just met, maybe you know, four or five months. Well, not even that, because I went in spring ball. So these conversations happen with, you know, yeah, about two to three months with strangers that, you know, yeah, that's your coach. I'm getting to know him. But when we start talking about life at the football and the love you have for me, things like that. I'm just like, whoa, like, you know, I'm super uncomfortable in this position. But it was just him and his wife trying to break through to me to try to see the bigger picture. So they had extremely um, a significant impact on um, not just my time at Ohio State, but still to this day. Did you have
0: walls built up back then?
2: Um, yeah, yeah, and it's funny because um and, and it's in a way, just the way I was raised. And like I said, I'm writing a book and I'm kinda it's funny that you ask some of these questions because I'm writing about this right now.
0: I can't wait to read it, man. I didn't know you were, <laughs> were doing that. That's cool.
2: Yeah, it's just about my time at Hall State and how I got there and it's a pretty cool story it's about, you know, behind the scenes stuff like this. Like, you know, and it's funny that a lot of people ask me questions like this. And I, I would straight, you know, bullcrap and we'll give them the lamest answers. But bro, you might guy though. You might <laughs> guy. So I'm gonna go a little bit of detail. But um yeah, it was just, it was, it was walls built up just because you know it's coming from an environment in a household where love was always inferred but not said. Like it did not leave a house at school and say, Hey, mama love you, or your mom say, Hey, mom, hey, I love you. And you especially wouldn't get that from a male figure saying I love you it was almost like a sign of softness in a way like I don't think I ever told my brothers I love them but they to this day but they know that you know my sisters are a little different you know um and still to I can probably honestly with my with my biological mom I probably can count hands and toes this time hands and toes how many times she you know we said we love each other but it's kind of always inferred like you know that so when when coach Herman is a man a a freaking uh, coming from an inner city now, I We didn't even have white freaking teachers, let alone coaches or or role models or or, or father figures when a, when this, you got this white man who recruited me, who really don't know me, tell me he loved me. I'm just like, bro, whatever. No, like, oh, okay. <laughs> and it's so funny still to this day. I mean, our relationship is 10 times better. And I, I can easily text him and say I love him. But he said that to me first. I'm just like, ha, shut up, man. You out of here. But he, he sees right through it though. He sees right through it. He always goes, he's like, oh, Eagle Cardell, the funny guy, don't know how to show emotions and, and express love. He got to say a joke every time somebody says he love him. And that's exactly true. I, mean, I just say it in the back of my head, I, I wouldn't rage like that, punk. <laughs> yeah, it's. it's <laughs> I get a little all on the times, so. y'all.
0: I imagine uh, that must be such a difficult transition. I knew in my family that I was loved. My mom constantly told me I was loved. My old man wasn't a I love you guy, but I never, there was never a question. I just knew. I knew he did. Exactly.
2: I just knew by the things that my mom did. I knew, you know, sometimes when, you know, we didn't eat at night, it wasn't because she didn't love us. Or sometimes we didn't see her all night. We knew she was out there doing something to bust her butt to make sure our lights stay on. You know, he wasn't always on, but you know, tried her best. So I knew from the actions and the things, and, and the and the, and the um the um <laughs> the physical disappointments. That's what I'm gonna call whoopings. The physical disappointments yeah. that she gave us, um, that she loved us. So that was never like, oh my god, I don't think my mom loved me. But when you start hearing, it, especially from a, a, um from an outside kind of influencer who had no part on your upbringing,
0: things like that. It's just like, what are you talking about? Like Another part of, of your <laughs> – yeah, yeah, I mean, I, for sure. And, and another part of your journey that, that was interesting was going to Fork Union. Yeah. So you get to Fork Union and you end up with a, a roommate who ends up being a, a teammate for several years and then ends up being the best wide receiver in the league. What, what was that year like for you and, and Michael Thomas together at Fork Union? Oh, oh,
2: my God. That four months, I think it was – yeah, four and a half months. Was four and a half tough. months, okay. Yeah, it was tough. So, yeah, so after me and Mike's senior year in high school, you know, we we had this summer off pretty much from athletics, and then we went into Fork Union that following semester. And we had not started for semester. So I can just remember going the first day not knowing – Anything about Fort Union, what it was. This was the plan set up for our the original coaches that were coach, coach Trussels to separate me and Braxton Miller. So I freaking go in there, man, and I, I got my bags packed and I'm going in there and I'm thinking I'm checking to my dorm. It's well, it's called Barrett's in the Military Academy. And I'm thinking they, you know, they give me this, this, this check sheet to go around and collect your, your, your clothes and stuff. I'm just like, what well, I got my clothes had no clue it was military style. So as I'm walking around the campus, I kind of smirk at one of my brothers. Like, hey, look at that dude got his shirt tucked in and shorts, you know, and like, but that was the uniform, but me not knowing nothing about the school, nothing about the uniform, nothing about anything. So I go around collecting my stuff and I'm just like, what is going on right now? So then I realized it's military style. And then I put my stuff in my barracks. You know, it was a guy in there checking our barracks making sure we get checked in and he was like, hey, just a heads up, no cell phones, no this, no this, no that. And I have my game system with me, so I'm giving it all back to my brother and my mom who took me down there and I'm just freaking out. And I'm just like, how am I supposed to call home? How am I supposed to get on the internet? So, then we go into orientation, sitting down, looking around. Don't see any young ladies. I'm just like, (laughs) what is, I'm just like, what? Like, I can't tell you, if, if you tell me you give me a million dollars right now, if I can repeat one word that was said in that orientation, <laughs> I'll be out of a million bucks. I'm just looking around, and I'm like, where is the young ladies? Why is everybody dressed like this? What is that guy up there talking about? Why is he so aggressive? <laughs> like, what is going <laughs> on right now? So it gets to the point, you know, we break from the orientation. They tell the parents "Say hey, you guys got 10 minutes and you guys gotta leave and we gotta you know go by our day. And I can just remember, man, after that day, the first the next morning is a 6 a.m. workout, uh wake up, the whole school of you, wake up, march to breakfast. And that's 3 a.m. to Mike. <laughs> Mike Thomas. That's 3 a.m. He's coming from the West Coast. <laughs> and he is just Delusional when he wakes up because this is <laughs> a big across the campus. He's just and it's six a.m. at that age. I'm not used to waking up at six a.m. So I'm kind of like, what's going on? Then they they line us up. We all are marching over the first time, and it's it, the lines and the march look horrible because there's a lot of guys in our position, a lot of post grad guys. That's for one, like, oh my god, we made a mistake. No, everybody waking up at six. Everybody's like, okay, I'm leaving this place. And then I can remember going through our first day and we had this period, I forgot what it was called. um, Pretty much like study hall where you had to sit at your desk in your room, door open and do work. Even if you ain't doing work, you have to sit there for two hours. Hmm. So you can sit there and finish your work. um, Write letter home, write letters home. Yeah. uh, Or pretty much that's about it. And I can remember I'm sitting at my desk. Mike, desk is to my right. And it's no, it's no communication. You can't turn around. Hey, you got this and that type of stuff. Because your door is open. You got your guy, your uh, Barrett leader, or whatever you call him, platoon leader, checking up and down the hallway. So you don't want really to get caught talking or playing around. So I can just hear him because I'm sniffling too, like we're crying. <laughs> 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 so I cried because it was so we just both get like, hey, man, me man, out man, of here man, this is like just the second we both out here because I'm sniffling and I'm doing I'm writing the letter home and I'm doing sniffling and freaking I, I had to start it like two or three times because a tear dropped on the paper and I'm like I'm just like you gotta be kidding me and I hear the sniffling coming from hell and I'm just like okay he cried too a little bit and it was just so mentally hard because it was like, you, it was such a cold turkey from our normal lives, of what we was used to. It was crazy. Like, it was the most craziest thing I ever did when it first comes as far as a big transition. I mean, that transition there was harder than the transition to college.
0: Why did you stay?
2: Well, the plan was to go there for a semester while we were there. Our senior class in high school, they were was, they was starting their first year of college. They were starting their first semester. So, it was separating us a year, or it was separating us a year, and then my plan was to go into Ohio State Red Shirt, so I separated me and Braxton by two years, because we were the same year in high school. So Coach Trussell and his staff figured, hey, we're going to get two, we're going to potentially get two um, Ohio guys, we don't want, you know, we want them both to be here, don't want them to leave, and things like that. Coach Trestle was always about keeping the top guys in Ohio, in Ohio. And he was burnt a couple of times Ohio State, you know, uh, was burnt a couple of times by by losing out on top athletes in Ohio, and having them play them in like bowl games or in the season, and getting crushed. And you especially don't want to lose them to the team up north, you know. So, um, so this that was the plan. I mean, they figured because Braxton went into high school. I mean, to college early, you know, he forfeited his senior semester in high school, went to college early, so he already had the jump on me. So that's where the plan came about. They didn't wanted to go like, hey, when I go in there, you know, in the summer while he already been whole semester before me, you know, if he had rings on me, it looked like he was gonna be the quarterback anyway. And I'm only a year behind him because I had red shirt for one year. You don't know, want the guy to transfer. Mm-hmm. So the gray shirt and red shirt put me behind him by two years, even though we the same age. I see. That's cool.
0: So <clears throat> let's fast forward to that unbelievable season in 2014. I show up. A- in Columbus like an alien from Mars as the Big Ten championship is about to happen to interview all these young men I've never met before. None of y'all know who in the hell I am. I'm just this country person that shows up out of nowhere. And I keep hearing 12 gauge this, 12 gauge that. And I'm like, who in the hell is 12 gauge? What is 12 gauge? How did you get that nickname? And who gave it
2: it had to be either John Simon, Michael Bennett, or Corey Lindsley. I want to say, and this came from an early, early point in my career where they always knew like a third of all. So John Simon, I was a freshman when he was there, or Nate Williams might have been Nate. He probably had some influence on that. So it was a lot of buzz about when I when I got there, and um, I used to be like they used to tell me to do stupid stuff like hey drop on your knees and throw the ball through the field goal post from 50 or the other 40, stuff like that. And you know, there, there are captains that at least I drop down do it, you know, <laughs> or get finished with a workout. Hey, th- throw the ball over there, all the way in the net. And it was so fun. I think John Simon scared me so freaking bad. It was like, he would tell me to do something like that. And I was shocked myself. Like how okay. did I just make it into that net from 40 yards away or okay. something like that, you know? And, um, so that just start like, hey, look, look, guys. Like, I do got a cannon. Watch this. Hey, Carl, throw it all the way across there or something like that. So it had to definitely come from one of those guys because they used to make me do some of the stupidest stuff ever with a football. <laughs> or, or, like, my favorite my favorite was in an indoor facility and throwing the ball and hitting the roof and putting holes in the roof. But I got in trouble a lot for that. So <laughs> – but they used to be like, do it, do it. Okay. Make sure Coach Mick not around. <laughs> and So you could, yeah.
0: you could get on a knee or, or both knees or whatever, kneel, and throw it through the uprights from the 50? Yeah. That's the stupidest thing I've ever – that's just the stupidest thing I've ever heard, dude. <laughs>
2: it's the stupidest thing they ever made me do. <laughs> <laughs> so
0: how let, – let's say someone didn't know what you guys accomplished in 2014. How would you describe the 2014 Ohio State football season?
2: I will describe it as, um, I wouldn't say magical, but I would say in a way that you'll see a super unlikely group of people come together and do an unbelievable thing. Um, I don't know how it is at other universities, other schools, but the relationship that players on scholarship have with the walk-ons and the... Commitment that the walk-ons have to the program, and the things that they put their bodies through, and the things that um, they're willing to do for the betterment of the team, and like these are average, in in some cases, are average joes, but like on the way, kind <laughs> of sacrificing for the bigger cause, and um, I can remember that season just having two or three walk-ons who had a significant part of our team and not just plan practice, just their energy, just their demeanor, just their, um, their characteristics. And I remember when a guy named Costa, Kara, George, yep. um, when he, when he entered our program, I think it was like midway through the season. I can't really remember when he did, but it was just, you never seen a guy who really honestly had no chance of playing practice so hard go so hard, try to be the first in everything you do, stay at the practice, got work with guys, like he was getting ready to suit up and play on Saturdays. And we had other guys like that as well, Craig Fader, uh, Joe Berger. But to see some of these guys go as hard as they go and to want to put in the extra work and to learn and and be a part of something that's special, it just makes you as a player, as a scholarship player, as a player that's getting all the accolades and all things like that, it's like you ask yourself, like, I could be doing more. If he's doing more, if he's willing to do more for this team, for himself, and to betterment the position of, of whatever he's playing, then I can be doing more. So, even times where a uh, Costa is staying at the practice, help setting up drills for Michael Bennett, for Joey Bosa, and things like that, and the first one, and really getting reps through. So, it was like, golly, like, that dude would never play here just because – you know, just talent-wise, I mean, he's not bad, but he's not a Joey Bosa or Mike. You know, I, um, it, it really brought us – it just brought us together in a different way where you knew that, that you were somewhere special. And it's kind of hard to explain, but that can sum it all up. That season was just special.
0: Some people listening may not know Costa's story that he passed away during that season. Um, yeah. What was the impact of that on you guys, Cardale?
2: Um, It was it was huge. It was huge because, like I said, he was a guy that was so well liked, not just through the football program, but around campus. He was a guy that he, – he was a guy that just always had a freaking smile on his face, like no matter what. And um, he he just lit up the room. Even though he was a D lineman, you know, the, the dry humor that he had, the um, – you know, the love of the game that he had. He you know, and come to find out we me and him had so many mutual friends outside of football, it was just like, dude, this dude is a, a great dude.
0: I remember at the beginning of the season, camp starts with Braxton Miller getting injured. What do you remember about that day?
2: Um, just going into camp, I don't know the first I think that was maybe the first or second day that um That I, that we got news that the quarterback battle was back open, what a backup battle was back open between me and JT. Um, I I just remember that day as like, okay, well, this is a day, because I think it was early on when it came to like one of the first few days in pads. So I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to chip away every day at this battle because, you know, our guy's back, Braxton is back, he's finally throwing and things like that. And he freaking dropped back to throw and he throws like a simple, I think it's like maybe a 10 yard out or something like that. And uh, when he went down, I'm looking at the ball for the most part after he dropped back and thrown it. And I just remember, like, looking back at him on the ground. I'm thinking someone ran into him. I see all the trainers rushing to the field. I'm thinking someone may have ran into his leg or something like that, the way he was down. And I'm just like, what just happened? And when he rolled over, he was just holding his shoulder, and he, clearly was no one around him as far as rushing. And I'm just like, what in the hell just happened? So... The whole energy of the practice just went completely down just because that was – everybody was so excited to get our leader back, our guy, and we were, you know, destined to do a lot of great things this season, especially leaving that bad taste in our mouth from the previous season of Orange Bowl and uh, losing to Clemson. It was just like, okay, here we go. Like, this is our guy. We got all these pieces around us. You know, Zeke is coming to his own. Devin Smith is coming to his own. Our defense is freaking loaded. Like, we about to have a really, really good team. And that happened. Now you go from we had all these pieces. Now we're missing one of the most main pieces, which was a quarterback. Like, let's do it. I don't want to be the guy. If I got into that, you know, situation, like, I don't want to be the guy to messed this all up.
0: <laughs> that was what you were thinking.
2: For sure. I mean, I definitely wanted to be the guy behind center. But I'm like, you know, we got all these pieces. We got all these guys that have been playing a lot of ball up until this point. proven guys. Now this is about to be the first time in three or four years that Ohio they have a different guy behind center um, for, you know, a significant period for a season. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to be the guy that make all these guys step back or, or the offense take a step back because of all the pieces that we had around us. And then come to find out, you know, JT went in a battle and he hit the ground running. He, he Well, started off slow. Then he freaking picked it up and was getting so many Heisman um, talks and things like that. But, um, even when he went down, that was my mindset again. I was like, "Oh, this team is rolling. I don't want to be." Hey, hey, we start rolling, they go point the finger right at me.
0: <laughs> I want to discuss that in just a second when he went down against Michigan. But first, let's discuss. You you mentioned the Virginia Tech game earlier. You guys lose to Virginia Tech at home. I don't. There's not a whole lot of people that expected that to happen, given the talent you just mentioned on that team. Yeah. What was the impact yeah. of that loss?
2: Man, it was significant, but um, with the new college football playoff system going into effect, and I remember, I I think we dropped out of the top 10. I think we were, like, almost 20 or something like that, maybe between 15 and 20, and not knowing what the end of the season will look like, our coaches did an unbelievable job of just keeping our mindset on the next game, on the next game, on the next game, and everything else will happen, and we still, in a way, control our destiny because we knew that, you know, if we won out, you know, convincingly, that we would – Potentially being in a position to play for a major bowl game, college football playoffs, maybe, maybe not, because I mean, it was, the system was so new, we had no clue what they had taken effect, and we had no clue how the ringers and that loss would affect us, and especially when you had two teams down there in Texas that was killing it. I think it was TCU and uh, Baylor. Tyler. Yeah, yeah, they were killing it, and then you had the top dogs at the time, Alabama. And then you had, you know, your. Um, the Oregon Southwest was killing it. Florida State was killing it. So it was like, okay, well, the writing on the wall was almost as if those were gonna out of that five was gonna be the top four. I mean, them guys were down there killing. It. So um, our mindset was just really to keep, you know, put ourselves in position to play for championships in November, and championships in November is meaning the Big Ten championship game, and clearly that goes through with the team up north, and um, and everything else that happened the way it should happen. So. And it did,
0: thank God. <laughs> and y'all are playing. I can say Michigan. I know you and Travis can't. That's a curse word in y'all's houses. But so, so you guys, you're hosting Michigan in Columbus, uh, and JT goes down. Mm-hmm. I want you to put me in that moment, Cardell. Now it's your time. Now the stage is yours. What was it like for you to walk on that stage?
2: Um, man, it was. It was. Um... It, it, it was a little nerve-wracking because me and JT at that time, you know, still to this day develop an unbelievable relationship, you know, and it was like – it was a bittersweet. It was like, golly, let me make sure my boy is good, but we got to finish shutting off too, you know. So that was tough. Um, but I can just remember all the nerves because it's still a close game. That was the first significant reps that I got in my whole college career. Everything else was pretty much mop-up duty. You know, going out there, I think I threw the ball the first play and complete – and I think that we end up punching, and then um, the next two possessions were critical possessions trying to put this team away, you know, because they got some momentum now. You know, our quarterback is out. They send the pressure at me. They're like, let's go get them. Let's go, you know, upset these guys at home. And uh, thank God we had a guy named Ezekiel Elliott, you know, <laughs> bust it. You know, I think it was about fourth and one or fourth and two. And um, he took it a touchdown and pretty much put the game out of reach. But I remember after the game, I'm trying to make sure my guys okay. You know, I'm like, I know he got carted off, you know, that don't look great for next week, but I'm trying to make sure he's good though. And um, clearly I think he went out with a, with a broken ankle and um, just the emotions after the game when me and him spoke and, you know, trying to get ready for the following week was just like, you know, it, it wasn't like a guy that was down and like, oh, the season is over. He had the emotions of, okay go finish this off, like, type of emotions and, and support that he had. For me, it wasn't, you know, I don't know how he was with other people, but he was still in our meeting rooms and, and things like that and, and being as engaged as he could be. And it was just like a normal routine for him when it came to preparing for a game. He was still preparing like he was getting ready to play.
0: I remember there being some narrative <clears throat> leading into that game in the Big Ten title against Wisconsin. Ohio State has a third stringer. Never really never really been on this kind of stage. Can he handle this kind of stage against that kind of defense? And then you went and hung 59 on him. What, what do you what do you remember <laughs> about that game?
2: No, we just came out throwing the ball. <laughs> and, you know, Coach Chairman, we sat down in the staff, we talked about what was set was down, what did we think. And that and it just goes with game planning. You know, we feel like we can support them guys on, you know, taking shots down the field on the outsides. And um, I think the second or third possession of the game, I kind of deviated from the plan. I threw one down the middle of the field almost got picked off. But, um, yeah, we we wanted to support these guys on the outside. But we were – you know, I get so much credit for that, that game and that three-game stretch. But people don't realize, man, we had an unbelievable defense. Like, mm-hmm. our defense yeah. went up against the three Heisman Trophy finalists and held them all under their, you know, gamely averages. So when Melvin Gordon, um, Cooper, and then um, Mariota in the championship game, you know, it was just unreal the way the guys was playing. I mean, Melvin Gordon, I don't think ever in his freaking career, rushed for less than, you know, 60 yards or whatever it may have been. And, you know, holding Mari Cooper under 100 yards and Marcus Mariota on their you know, his average, lead. he had a good game, but under his average, it wasn't the Marcus Mariota that people was used to seeing. Um, so I got to give a lot of credit to those guys, first and foremost. My raw emotion, I was just excited. It was like a sign of relief, definitely after the first touchdown to Devin. And um, it looked so funny. You know, I remember going back and watching it. And uh Zeke was down there too. And Zeke should have just stood there and we got the play and he ready to go route. And I'm like, Devin caught it over all of you guys. But um definitely just a, a big relief of emotions and like, okay, this is college ball. I'm ready, I love the stage. It's back just like playing in high school.
0: What were your expectations entering the sugar bowl?
2: A tough, hard nosed fault game, which it was. I mean, um, I you know it, some games, sometimes you game plan for a team and you can see that you can exploit certain situations or you will see that they bust a coverage every once in a while or out of place. And that was not the case and it won't be the case with Alabama this year for the Buckeyes. That was a smart, disciplined team, tough team, um, talented team that we just knew that we were gonna have to give it our best shot. I mean, it wasn't one of those games where three or four mistakes that you can boss back from. I mean, you know, we had a, Couple of critical mistakes that almost cost us the game, but um, we knew that you know we was in a good position with not just our defense but offense as well, um, just to keep playing hard. But that was one of the clearly the best teams I played against um, by far, just because not just because of the scheme, not because of the talent, just because of the discipline.
0: What message, if any, did Coach Meyer give you guys to to prove it, to prove that you belonged in that playoff?
2: Um. I think they did a good job of, you know, we, we had two and a half, three weeks preparing for that game. So the way that the tempo usually works in the message and the practice and the, and, and everything, the to the message to the team and the practice is, he built Alabama up as being like the God's gift to football. You know, he built them up basically saying, like, y'all ain't on y'all crap. You know, they go hang 50 on y'all and stuff like that. So building them up to a way that almost made us scared to to – to make a mistake, almost make everyone go out there and want to be perfect. And coach Meyer always talked about it, the Wednesday leading up to Alabama game. I had, you know, the best practice I ever had, and things like that. And just, I'm like, just because of the messages that was delivered and the things that you want to accomplish as a player and as a team. And, um, and as you get closer to the game, now he started to build you up as a team. And he started talking about how everything that we overcame, how we don't supposed to be in this position, how everybody counted us out, how the first playoff, Rankin had us at, you know, somewhere close to 20 and things like that. And, um, and then as you get even closer to the game, it's all about us. It's all about a, this game will be won because the players in this room, things like that. So I think you do a good job of pretty much controlling the narrative all the way up into the game until the foot hit the ball.
0: First and 10, second quarter, 37 seconds left in the first half. I wonder if you remember what happened on that play.
2: First and ten, second quarter. Is that thirty second thirties? Thirty seven
0: seconds of, to go in the half.
2: What yard line of ball was on?
0: I don't know that, but I, I you were in say, the shotgun like like normal. Typically, you yeah, were. You take the snap. You take about a three or four step drop. You realize you can get a whole lot of green. Yeah
2: yeah, 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 Ahead of you, I, and you take off running. What yeah, happened? That was a play. Uh, I think I break a tackle in backfield. And, and lower the shoulder on the Atlantic columns.
0: <laughs> yep. That's exactly yeah. what happened. I yeah. uh, I was standing <laughs> beside Tim Tebow on the sideline, almost right where you impacted Landon. And I turned to Tim and I said, dude, that sounded like a damn car accident.
2: <laughs> like that was two
0: dudes going at each other.
2: Dude, that was two dudes in Landon. And um, Landon, was, he was actually my favorite player actually playing against just because – he was always in the right position. He was always he, – he's such a smart player that's showing – I mean, the guy has success, high school, college, and, you know, doing it on the highest level of football. Just always in the right position. He's a he's, – his technique is, is, is unbelievable. His ball skills is great. You know, he's a pretty good tackler. Like, just a smart, hard-nosed player that you want on your defense. And, you know, we didn't have many encounters as far as trying to tackle each other, or him trying to tackle me, but he don't know how much of a mind game I was playing with myself with him each and every snap because we knew he ran the defense. I'm in uh, 33. I can't Trey
0: remember. Priest. DePriest.
2: DePriest. Uh, he's an Ohio guy, yeah, yeah. Those guys, the defense ran through those guys, for sure. And, um, you know, the priest got the front seven and knew had those guys rolling on the back four. So, um just having that almost a cat and mouse game in my mind with him. And, you know, he, wherever he ran, wherever he was at, he he did a lot of different things. Whereas they love to bless him. They love to drop him in cover. They love to, you know, cloud him over a guy. But it, it, he was definitely one of my favorite players ever to play against.
0: The the reaction or, or lack of reaction that you had after that play, I, obviously it was situational. You guys are trying to yeah. move the football down the field with not much time left. But at the same time, it intrigues me that, that respect you had for Landon. I wonder oh, sure. if that played. I wonder if that played into your. You got up and handed the ball to the ref, and we're going back to the line. Yeah, there wasn't no flexing. There wasn't no talking. There wasn't no first down like you know uh, yeah. signaling by you. You just went back to the next play.
2: Yeah, yeah, I was talking a little crap, but yeah, and, and, he, <laughs> and, he, and he got. I mean, he got some good shots of me in that game too. I remember one shot he got to me. I think it was like a third and short. And I, and I kind of bounced and rolled off one player, and I was spinning, and he got me right in the back of the head. I was like, looked over, and I'm like, he got me. Okay, he got me. <laughs> but, no, um, yeah, it was all situational at that point. Yeah, you try not to let your emotions get the best of you, know, especially situations like that, a big play like that. Um, But, uh, yeah, he, he is definitely a, a great player, though.
0: <laughs> it's a back-and-forth game, a very, very physical game. Four minutes to go. Zeke plants his left foot and goes 85 yards to the house. One of the most famous, revered plays in the history of that storied program. What was it like watching that that play from from your vantage point? Did you? Oh, know it was I was over? happy.
2: Oh, I was happy. I tell you what, I was happy because uh, I forgot the motion down Evan Spencer on the motion to crack Trey De Priest um, to to clog up the lane, but. Come to find out, you know, just the way I, I always joke with Evan about it because we, we talk about that play, and he's like, yeah, it made my job harder. I take out two guys with a block and this and that this and that. <laughs> and we joke, like, we kind of reminisce. And we all just had dinner a week ago, um a week and a half ago. And um, we was kind of reminiscing about that game and, you know, laughing about it. But um I always tell him, hey, if I'd have motioned you down, maybe they would have bumped it. Maybe it would have been harder for that run, so that run might not have happened. I'm like, so I knew I wasn't motioning you down on purpose, which I, <laughs> but I totally forgot to, though. Um, but, yeah, I just remember watching him, and, and then I see a guy from the back end of Alabama just hauling butt, sprinting, trying to get the angle. And I remember jogging on the field, just like, please, please don't catch him. Because I think the player two before, that's when Collins gave me a good shot. And I'm like, please don't catch him. Get the end zone. <laughs> so, And he did, and I, was, uh, and I was pumped about that, though. <laughs>
0: So so y'all beat Bama, uh, win the Sugar Bowl, move on to the Natty in Dallas. What about that game? What were your emotions and feelings entering that one?
2: Um emotions were high. I got a call from a former Host alumni and former high school alumni as well, um, Troy Smith, and we just talked about, you know, leaving all out on the table and um, you know, just going out there for you guys because his first things, his first conversation, his first words to me, he's a, Hey, you know, anything I can do to make you not feel like I felt after losing the national championship game, I'm here. And I always knew I had that comfort in in Troy, just um, knowing him having a personal relationship with him. But I think it really ramped up during that week because, well, that 10 days, just because of, he didn't, like he said, he didn't want me to feel what he felt losing to the Gators in the BCF national championship game. So, a lot of raw emotions, but I do remember, like, blocking and everyone in my phone at that point except my mom coaching in and then one or two coaches just because, you know, everyone wanted to congratulate me and then, you know, say little things to me, which was cool. But I just tried to pretty much focus as much as possible on Oregon. I mean, they had a really good team, two really good defensive ends, and and, and overall a really good defense. But their defensive ends and um, two guys playing in high-level NFL right now um, really stood out. These are big, strong, quick twitch guys who cannot just get to the passer. But if they can get to the passer, they can knock the ball down. They were 6'8", and 6'9". You know, so uh, I knew we had our hands pulled there outside of everyone else that they had. And then they had a freaking juggernaut on offense with, you know, Mariota and the tempo that they was running and, you know, everything that they was doing up until that point.
0: You know, you guys go on to win that national championship. <laughs> and it was an amazing moment to see just personally. To, to kind of watch you guys and having been around you guys for about six straight weeks. I basically lived yeah. in Columbus with y'all for about six weeks at that time. And, and I was sitting there thinking the other day about you and about that group. And, and when you run down the list of players, it, it's, it's just ridiculous. I mean, that, that roster that year was just, just ridiculous with, yeah. with from, from Bosa to Darren Lee to Raekwon McMillan, to, to Jalen Marshall and Curtis Samuel and certainly Michael yeah. Thomas and Ezekiel and all those guys, right? It was really something, the talent. But when people think about 2014 Ohio State, they think Cardell Jones. Yeah. What's, that tell, yeah, what does just, that, what's that tell you about your story <laughs> when there's all of that? I mean, those are all pros, Cardell. right? Pros, like those pros, people I just yeah. mentioned, several of them are the best of the best in the world at what they do. But when people think about that Ohio State team, they think about you.
2: I think because of the way I came on the scene and definitely, um, the, you, I mean, I don't think you will ever see another third stream to come in and do some of the things that, you know, I to only because of the system and the program was in place and the people I had around me, you had no choice, but to prepare like a starter. You had no choice. But to be on your game each and every week, like you was gonna play. Like I said, it was times after my first year and, and really understanding what it was about to be a State quarterback, when I still wasn't had no chance of playing. That I can ramble off the game plan to you like I was playing, or you so engaged into the game plan. You know, you you watching and you listening, and Braxton might do something like that, or one player throwing it somewhere else, and you go to your head because you probably would throw it somewhere else. So I'm so locked into the game plan, in which. We had no choice because Coach Meyer, Coach Herman, they made the quarterback stand behind about five to seven yards behind the play, and you going through a read. So as we watching film, we as we watching film, yeah, we watching the starter or whoever uh, in getting that rep. But the coach are paying attention to the guys behind them, and he might stop the film and say, "Okay, this, the starter or the guy who was in through the hitch to the left. I'm, I don't know. I might have took the free access hitch to the right." They stop. Pause. Hey, Cardell, why did you go over there? Oh, because I like this matchup better. Okay, boom, play. So you're staying locked in and engaged, even though you might not be getting that physical rep, the mental reps is just as important at Ohio State as, I mean, I don't think any other program can, can replicate that because I don't know how another program is preparing the backups. So that's why I think that um, everyone's going to kind of hear that 2014 season think of me because of what I did, because you didn't expect that from a third string or backup period. But that's just a testament to the program and the things that we did on a day in and day out basis. And you know, another great thing Coach Meyer and staff used to do out of nowhere, not just with me, he, he would yell out, Hey, Joey Bosa just broke a shoelace, get his back up in. Mm-hmm. So he pull in. And this is live situations in practice where it's like we have good on good and it's you know loser. The, the, whoever loses, they run a gas. Practice. So this is a big time comp- competing against each other to make sure everyone is locked into those situations. Hey, uh, freaking Braxton Miller is cramping. Get his backup in. Oh, he, he having a uh, chin strap or equipment issues. Get his backup in. So he always kept guys engaged that way. You had no choice to be on your stuff.
0: The reason he's so successful. So, I mean, it's amazing For sure. to me how the great ones, the greatest ones are so meticulous. And it's such a talent. I mean, I, it's, so, it's just so, such a talent. You know, one – I'll man, leave man. you with this. I've kept you too long already. But one thing that I will <laughs> always carry with me about you is your graduation from Ohio State. I don't know if you remember this, but you invited me to attend your graduation and yeah
2: yeah I remember man i can't
0: i can't tell you what that meant to me and what that means to me now that you would do that because one of the greatest blessings that i consider this job is meeting young men like you who grew up so so differently than i did and have a completely different life experience than i have but we forge this bond and this mutual respect for one another. And the fact that you did that, man, uh, I am grateful for that. And I will carry it with me forever. Thank you.
2: I appreciate that, man. I appreciate that. And definitely, I think uh, one of the things that always drew me to you, Marty, and we met back in, like I said, 14 through that run. And um, had no clue who you were. knew you was just a reporter. And, and at that point in my career, I had no greatest experience with reporters. Because mm-hmm. at that point in my career, when it came to reports, it was the tweet. That's you know, sweet, from two terrible. years prior and and just start to see how impacts the reporters have on on, on a guy, um, the things that they say, you know, and I, I'm not a soft guy at all. But you, you have so many of these reporters that so wishy-washy when the guy's doing good, they love them. But soon the guy do bad, they throw him right under the bus and actually they back up and roll over him again. And to my experience with you, I never seen you say anything negative. Yeah, you critique guys. I never seen you say anything negative, let alone about me. But anyone you interview, anyone you talk about, anyone you you have experience with. I mean, critique and being negative are two different things. And a lot of these guys, man, just so negative and say so many, some of the craziest things that I can only imagine they say to uh, some of these a- say about these athletes, and they kind of forget that these are still 18, 19, 20 year old kids. And it's like, you know, that's one thing. I'm not looking forward to if my, you know, future kids decide to play sports. If a reporter says something negative in a way that's kind of disrespectful to or about the athlete. And I don't think you ever, to my experience and and knowing and following all the stories that you do and all the guys you interview, never seen that come across to you. So that's why I always kind of was super keen to you. And, and whenever you call or have opportunities like this, I'm dropping whatever I'm doing because you're my guy. <laughs>
0: Well, <laughs> you likewise, and
2: you and Pete Dammel, Gamble. Pete Dammel's another good guy, but you guys are my guys and I don't care what I'm doing. You want 10 minutes, 10 seconds or, or 10 hours of an interview I'm doing.
0: <laughs> well, I'm uh, I'm really, really appreciative of you and, and grateful for your friendship. And uh, I'm thrilled to hear that you're writing this book. I'm glad that you're taking that emotion and putting it on paper because it's something that is a movie script i've told you that since (laughs) 2015 quarterback battle with jt and and it's good that you're doing that uh good luck i've if you need any uh assistance or guidance in how all of that stuff works holler i've been there and uh (laughs) and i I just appreciate your time man stay well and if you need anything from me you got my number brother appreciate you happy new year I am so appreciative of him, and I'm, I always appreciate the opportunity to get to tell him that. I've said the same thing to JT Barrett. I've said the same thing to Michael Thomas. I've said the same thing to Raquan McMillan and Darren Lee, certainly Joshua Perry and Urban Meyer. And that team, that team will forever live in my heart. And, and Travis, I'll tell you why. Because I was I wasn't lost, but I was certainly in uncharted waters when I when I dropped into the Woody Hayes complex that winter of 2014. And I knew it was a massive opportunity. I was honestly very naive about what a big platform it was. But I knew it was big, and I knew that not only – I wasn't even a rookie. I was, just, I was just an alien. That's the only word I can use that properly describes how out of nowhere, how out of outer space I was. And I've, as I said in my book, Never Settle, as I've said before, in so many speeches that I've done in the past – I decided that I wanted to report what I, I found to be interesting. Devin Smith is another one that I've, I've said thank you to from that team. They all gave me time. They gave me attention, insight, respect that I hadn't earned and didn't deserve, and not only those guys. Mark Pantone, uh, several of the other coaches – uh, Mark Quisenberry, who at the time was the video director, who now runs the video boards for Ohio State at, at the shoe and at their basketball arena. He at the time was the film director for the football team. They all just took me in, all of them. And and I felt like for for, for a minute, I, I became I became kind of a part of them. And my reporting in no way was biased. I didn't sugarcoat anything in any way, to, to Cardell's point. But I just decided that I was going to report what I saw and what I thought was interesting. I wasn't going to try to get into the weeds or, or true depth like folks at the Columbus Dispatch would or, or, or 11 Warriors or, or those, those amazing groups that, that cover that team so deeply because they would know I was a fraud. And I didn't want to be a fraud. I wanted to project how amazing college football was, and that's what I tried to do. And and those guys all brought. They just took me in, and it was an amazing ride. And I've always wanted to. I've said to Cardell and JT before, I want to do a thirty for thirty one day on them. And now I'm. I'm so glad. I'm so happy that that Cardell is writing a book because he deserves to write. It. He wrote a movie.
1: It's that year was. Unlike any other, I, like many, had no idea who you were. There's actually a photo. When I first got to ESPN, I didn't have cable yet, so I'd go in and watch games. And there's a photo that I posted on my Instagram account back then. And you're on one of the TVs doing a report. But I had no idea who you were. Mm -hmm. And then that season was, we were coming off, we lost the previous two games that previous year. Then beat Navy, then lose to Virginia Tech. Urban Meyer lost three games in four, uh, three of four games yep. in a span, and then went on that roller coaster. And if anybody outside of Ohio State says, and by Ohio State I mean that team, says that they thought Cardell, the 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 narrative on Cardell was he was just going to be a bad. The tweet, that
0: was, he just the, said it. The, I made it a point not to bring up the tweet in this interview because it's tired. Is yeah. it part of his story? Of course it is. But I wanted to know so much more about him than the tweet. But he's right. When I, when he assumed the quarterback job at that big – I guess when JT got hurt against Michigan, but then, of course, Big Ten Championship, Sugar Bowl, National Championship, that three-game span, I'll never forget standing outside of the hotel. Back, back in that era when we first started the college football playoff, the, the team reporters, they, they, they still do that, but they put a reporter with each team, and you're really immersed in the, all the lead-up to the games. And that's why I was in Columbus for, for five or six weeks, much to Lainey's chagrin. She's in the other room probably giving me side-eye even still, but, God, she's an angel. I'm married up higher than a giraffe's ass. Anyway, um, <clears throat> I remember standing outside of Ohio State's team hotel in the dark, the day of the sugar bowl and there were fans out there already kickoff was like 7 30 p.m. local. Yeah, it was yeah. like 5 30 a.m. It was like 5 30 a.m. local because that's 6 30 a.m. Eastern. And we were on at seven Oh one at the top of sports center that morning. And so there were fans outside the hotel. What is that 14 hours before kickoff and uh, I'm just, I've had, I've shared so many laughs with Urban in the aftermath of that. In fact, I'll, I'll just tell you, I texted him this morning and I, I said, Hey, I'm just thinking about you. I know you got a lot more important stuff going on in your life, including your future. And, but I just want you to know that I'm, I'm thinking about that 2014 season and I'm thinking about how special that group of people is to me and always will be. And he said, I remember it well, who in the hell is this Marty Smith guy? Turned out to be a superstar on ESPN. Happy New Year.
1: Well, I mean, you put in your book, and I guess I should I should thank you for and thank ESPN for helping provide a little extra motivation to that team to give some uh, redneck to send them to Ohio State. It's
0: it, uh, the old redneck
1: added, added motivation to prove ESPN wrong.
0: The old redneck. Uh, this is a luck. It's a just a, a blessed redneck. And 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 look not, to transition a bit to, to the upcoming national championship between those, those same teams and teams uh, that with whom I'm very close, both sides. And uh, I am so impressed with what Ohio State did in that game. Uh, Clemson is a very good football team, and Ohio State dominated every facet of the game. And uh, they had a lot of motivation to do that. Uh, I Also, I wanted to get my brother Taylor Zarzer on because when we were doing the dukes mayo bowl late in the game taylor the play-by-play announcer who is like a brother to me and has been for a long time now said uh he's going to go ahead and outright pick ohio state and i said why and he said they haven't played their best game yet and i don't remember what i said but it was something along the lines of i don't agree with you and uh a lot of Ohio State fans let me know that in the aftermath of, of OSU's victory. And you have a right to gloat. Uh, you have every right to gloat, and it's fine. Like, none of that gloating bothers me because I got to hear it from Travis every damn well, day. Well, I
1: will say, though, you can gloat, but there was one that was rather obnoxious, and at that point in the night I was um,
0: – You'd had a couple.
1: I had a couple pops. So I just decided to let him know, like, listen <laughs> – you can say you were wrong or whatever, but he some had some choice. He had some choice words and coming out of a, a demographic of the, the Southern fan base and people. And I was, listen, you, you think Marty gives a damn about who won that game? Didn't, you didn't care. You can you come after people for their picks, but to my highest state, people don't make it personal.
0: Well, it was interesting that particular one. You know me and the way that I don't look at, at mentions very often. I saw that one and I just was like, that is so interesting that someone, this was a guy in Cleveland, I don't remember his name now or, or handle or whatever. I probably blocked him at this point because I don't, I just don't tolerate the bull anymore. Laney wants me to mute everybody, and I've muted a lot of people. She thinks it's so much better to mute people because they still think they're getting to you. I just don't care. Like I don't want you in my life. I don't want you to have access to me in any way, so I just block them. I've probably done that to that guy now, but then I don't remember because I don't remember his name, but anyway, um, he basically came at me and said, "How do you feel about your pick now, F you and all the what was it like F you like and the all South the southern fa- yeah. southerners in the world, whatever he said. And I was like, man, this dude wants smoke from the whole South. Like, bro, you're barking up the wrong tree. We got some some
1: wrong- as you said previously, you're friends with people at Alabama and Ohio state and the same thing goes for Clemson. So in your mind, all you're, all you're rooting for is a good game.
0: Yeah. I, you know, again, it's like, I forget who told me this. I think it might've been Taylor. When you go to cut, when I left NASCAR, when I stopped only covering NASCAR exclusively and went to all sports, I was told by a friend of mine, another broadcaster, I can't remember exactly who it was. They said, you are going to stop cheering for teams like Virginia Tech, which, of course, y'all know I was hard, hardcore hokey and still want to see them do great, but I will admit my fandom has changed. You start cheering for people. You start wanting to see people do well, and that couldn't be more true. That's 100% accurate. And I have those people at Ohio State and Michigan and Alabama and Florida and Virginia Tech, and UVA, and Florida State, and Texas, and Texas A&M, and on and on, Clemson, and South Carolina, and on and on and on. Arkansas, I mean, you probably named the team, but that's just because of the business and the way that we get the opportunity to meet these people on another level, and that's a good place to finish this thing. Thank you to Cardale for all the time he gave us, and I just am so proud of him. Um, Y'all, I can't describe to you what I got really emotional. He called me first, and I missed his call. This was in the spring of 17. And then he sent me a text. He goes, hey, man, I'm graduating, and I want you to come. I want you to come and be there when I graduate. I was doing an assignment, and I couldn't go. But gosh, uh, that's so much bigger than football. And it just meant a lot to me. Proud of him. I can't wait to read his book and y'all make sure you put that I'll keep you posted I'll stay in touch with him on when it might come out how it's progressing because uh, that thing will be made into a movie it's a movie Uh, thank you guys so much for listening thank you guys so much for being a part of Marty Smith's America and and Travis uh, this was Travis's idea to get 12 gauge on I, I appreciate that idea it was a great idea thanks for everything you do for me uh, congratulations to your buckeyes. I can't wait to watch that national championship. Holy smokes, it's gonna be a it's gonna be an instant classic. And again, uh Justin Fields, absolute warrior. Um, one of the gutsiest performances. Look, one of the best performances at that level ever, much less with what he was battling in in terms of the pain department. Uh, very impressive. I can't wait to watch that game. Thank y'all so much. Thank you so much to our law enforcement officials in these communities all over the country, working hard to keep us safe. Our first responders, firemen, running into the flames to, to save lives. Thank you so much to our military. So grateful for your sacrifice and and everything that you do to keep us free. I'm so proud to be an American. Have a great day, everybody. Happy New Year. Thank you so much for being A listener of Marty Smith's America will do better next time around. Y'all have a great week, and we'll talk to you next week. This is Marty Smith's America.